0: Welcome to The Step, a podcast for and about unstoppable individuals presented by Pop Sugar and Sorrel. I'm your host, actress and singer Katie Stevens. Last season, we heard from fearless individuals who boldly take up space in pursuit of their dreams. This season, we're celebrating those individuals who embrace creativity and opportunity no matter the challenge in front of them. Join us. Okay, guys, this next guest proves it's possible to pursue multiple creative pursuits. You belong
1: everywhere you want to go. Yes. Obviously, you want to be kind to people. You want to be professional. But the energy of I'm so happy to be here, you don't need that. You are bringing something to the table that is valuable. Your thoughts are valuable. Your feelings are valid. And you don't have to act as though they just... Gave you a chance, or you're just so lucky. There's too many people in this industry for that to be the case. Allow yourself to take up space
0: and know that you belong wherever you are. That's actress, podcaster, and comedian Lacey Mosley. Lacey currently stars as Harper in Paramount Plus's reboot in the hit TV series iCarly. She can also be seen on HBO's award winning A Black Lady Sketch Show as well as in episodes of AMC's Better Call Saul, ABC's Single Parents, HBO's Insecure, and more. Lacey also hosts the wildly popular Scam Goddess, a podcast dedicated to fraudsters, She's an avid and active supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement. Lacey is also a member of the Upright Citizens Brigade's Project Rethink, which works to address racial disparities and systemic racism in the ranks of the comedy organization. Lacey is the definition of a multi-hyphenate talent juggling acting, comedy, podcasting, and activism, and always pushing the needle forward. I am what? Yes. Excited. Lacey, welcome to the step. Hey, that was what an intro. Wow. I had to take a, a cue off of Scam Goddess and say the I am what?
1: <laughs> Excited. I heard <laughs> Excited. that. Excited. Yes. <laughs> we love a nod. We love a nod,
0: Katie, yes. Yes. Um first things first, I have been asking all of my guests what their favorite quote or mantra that they live by is. So I was wondering what that is for you, something that you can lean on that kind of helps you day to day.
1: So my favorite quote, I don't know who was originally by, but my mom um, always said this to me, nothing is ever really about you. Mm -hmm. And what that means is in relation to other people. So um, if someone is acting kind of weird or distant or, you know, um, my first assumption isn't to think that they're Mad at me or something going on with me. Like, you know, I try to get out of the space of thinking that other people's behaviors or what they do ha- have a direct correlation to me. And sometimes they do, but I think that as human beings, we spend a lot of time worrying about what other people think of us and worrying if you uh, were upsetting people, or maybe that's just me, like I'm a very empathetic person. So Mm -hmm. now I, you know, if something seems off or weird, I don't get in my head or get really dramatic, you know, I'll just ask the person how they're doing. Or, you know, when I walk into a room, I'm not concerned with like what people think of me or what I'm wearing or, you know, do they like me? Like, you know, I try to um, get that out of my head.
0: That's amazing. Were you in my therapy session this morning? (laughs) It's just, it's so easy, especially when as actors, we are constantly trying to prove to people why we're good enough or, you know, we're, we're constantly looking for the adoration and the admiration and validation from casting directors and fans and, you know, everybody under the sun. So then it's weird how that kind of trickles into your day-to-day life in terms of, you know, your friendships, your relationships, et cetera. So I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to adopt that. I need that. It works for comments on the internet too.
1: Like, you know, people will say things to get attention and you have to learn, like, they're not spending their whole day thinking about you. They maybe made a passing comment and, you know, that'll stick with you all day when they're probably, you know, I don't know, on the toilet or the, you know, in the car, they moved (laughs) on. (laughs) So we have to let it go and move on too.
0: You know, I often think that that's where people think of me. <laughs> <that> the toilet? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's kind of um, sweet. That's kind of romantic. Yeah. That's, you know, it's it's your time of, of solitude. And Truly. If someone's thinking of me there, like, thank you so much.
1: <laughs> really appreciate it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I have so many questions, but I want to start at the beginning of your journey to becoming who people know Lacey mostly to be now. As a child, when did you realize that you wanted to entertain?
1: Um, My earliest memory was five years old. Um, I always loved singing in the church choir. And I've talked about this, um, you know, because we would have little solos. It's like, Jesus is bubbling in my soul. And Mm -hmm. honey, I I needed to let the girls know that he was bubbling. And, (laughs) you know, they would try to be fair about it and rotate it around and give all the kids a turn. But, you know, I, I said... I told my pastor once because he was talking about, you know, how God lets us use people as instruments or God, you know, we're instruments, I guess, from him. And I was like, OK, well, somebody's, you know, instrument and gift might be passing out programs. Everybody don't need to sing. Jesus is Bubbly. I can yep. handle that. I got that covered.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no one else. Just me. Just center me. stage
1: <laughs> God texted me and told me nobody else needs to sing <laughs> anymore. No, So I knew at a young age and then I started taking acting classes and I told my mom I wanted to do it professionally and um, she got me headshots and then she sat me down and told me that she wanted me to have a childhood and that she wanted to have a life, which was fair. Um, But she always let me take acting classes as long as my grades were good. So if there was a scam, honey, if there was a scam, anybody was running at the mall, you know, I was there and I always looked extra cute at the mall and lingered at the water fountains just in case.
0: You know, I remember like reading stories about people who would make it out of those like mall kiosks. Mm -hmm. Like people who I was like, oh, that person got cast in Hannah Montana or, you know, whatever. And I would be like, searching for them but you know there were there was never any of those kiosks at the Waterbury Mall in Connecticut so oh no um, so <laughs> that was that was when my mom was like all right let's try to figure it out my my poor parents who weren't in the industry at all were like googling agents and and actor related people to like send a headshot with like a tape of me singing. I was like 12 packaging these on my kitchen floor with my mom. And then I never heard back from anyone, which honestly might be a blessing because I got to have a childhood, which was nice.
1: Right. And that's so sweet that you guys were packaging these up and mailing them out. I mean, that was a different time because now, you know, the girls are looking for talent on TikTok. They're just mm-hmm. scrolling and they're like DMing people like, hey, would you like a career in show business? Like it's gotten so easy for talent scouts.
0: Yeah, it's it's nuts though, because like I I even to this day, like I don't know how to make a TikTok. I don't know how to make, I don't even know how to make a reel on Instagram. Like I'm <laughs> the worst social media person in this day and age, but it is so crazy. And also I feel like maybe so overwhelming for people who do want to get started, that that is such a heavy part of it that you need to like know and you need to be able to stand out. It's wild.
1: And you have to create an audience. I remember when I was a kid, whoever was on TV was I, that's who we knew was famous. Like when Mm -hmm. they put them on there, we were like, okay, they put you in the, in the television box. You must be a star. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, there's so much TV Uh, I remember when I was doing Florida Girls. We were on Pop TV, which no longer produces television, but they're like a niche network. They used to be the TV Guide Network. So when people were like, "Oh, we watch your show," I'd be like, "Okay, so sit down. So who is your (laughs) cable provider? Yeah, you got Spectrum. You got AT and T. Who you got? Okay,
0: cool, (laughs) cool, cool, cool. Now,
1: what package do you have? (laughs)
0: <laughs> like, you were selling television, literally.
1: It <laughs> was. I was like, Oh, do you have iTunes? Like, look, we're gonna we're gonna find it for you.
0: Was Pop TV where Shits Creek was? It was, and that yeah. was also
1: a part of my spiel. I would start with, you know Shits Creek? Okay. Now we their sister show, okay? Mm-hmm. Florida girls.
0: <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> I'd
1: work people down to the yeah. That I was, was know, me speech. when I
0: was when I was on a show on MTV. People would be like, I've never heard of it. And I'm like, you know the show Awkward? We're right <laughs> after it. <laughs>
1: Right, you got to latch on to something that people know.
0: (laughs) Wait, so where were you born and raised?
1: I was born in Terrell, Texas, uh, which is a small city. I always say uh, everywhere that Jamie Foxx was born there, too, when he was Eric Bishop. So, you know, Terrell, Texas, shout out to that little town. But I lived in Dallas predominantly, like Frisco, Texas, a little north.
0: Okay, and then did you discover, you know, after you knew that this is what you wanted to do, did you then decide to get a degree in it? Were your parents kind of like have a backup plan? Like what was what was your experience of of that?
1: So when I was 18, I really wanted to just move to New York City and start acting. Unfortunately, my parents were like, "Uh, we get degrees over here. So (laughs) go ahead and get one of those. Mm -hmm. And then you can do whatever you want. Um, and we'll support you. So I ended up getting a full tuition scholarship to the University of Pittsburgh. And I went there and I studied marketing and performance. And at first I thought the marketing degree was going to be like a backup plan, but it ended up actually just helping me create a, a career of my own.
0: Of course, that's like invaluable. And And correct me if I'm wrong, because I learned this about you. You were a cheerleader, ran track, and you served as student body president of your school.
1: Yes, student body president and student council president until they made me give one up.
0: Wow. <laughs> it was very much church all over
1: wow. again when I was five. They were like, you can't wow. have it all. I was like, please. <laughs> I need all of them.
0: <laughs> Honestly, like snaps for all of that. Like <laughs> Thank you. And full tuition. Teach me your ways.
1: I was an overachiever, but... um. I will say it was a scam because I was, like, very sheltered and not really allowed to, like, go to parties and stuff like that. My parents wanted me to stay safe and, you know, not get into a bad crowd and ruin Mm. my, you know, career or life. So the only way I could really, like, get out of the house and, like, do a lot of stuff was to be involved. Because my parents didn't care if I was going, you know, to student council camp, which is a real thing. Yeah. Uh, It was a sleepaway camp. Yeah. So we went to, like, learn— better organization skills and, you know, how to get the school dances popping and the bake sales baking, you know.
0: No (laughs) way. I had no idea that was real.
1: It was so nerdy. But yes, I got to do whatever I want to be out of the house all the time as long as it was a school activity. So I got really involved.
0: So now you're just like, I know how to throw the best school dance you've ever seen.
1: (laughs) <laughs> okay, your 12-year-olds will not know what hit them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you you started saying this, but how do you feel like your education and degree and performance and marketing, like what do you feel like was the most valuable thing that you took away from having that experience?
1: Well, what I took away from it, um, there were a few valuable things. I, one, my psych courses. Oh boy, like they taught me so much just about scamming and about personalities, and they really helped me um, when I'm using my podcast. But marketing really helped. I guess the most fundamental thing was I knew how to sell myself uh, and the projects that I was doing to people, and I knew how to kind of find the back door, the back loop. And now here's an example when I started Scam Goddess podcast, I had maybe like 5,000 Instagram followers, and Nobody really knew me, you know, other than like local performers and comedians and, you know, the the spots that I had done in TV shows. Mm. But what I did have was a catalog of other people's podcasts and popular shows that I had guested on and I could prove that I had a fan base that was loyal, that I could bring. So I basically made a podcast resume and I did a pilot of Scam Goddess. Um, I listened to a lot of The Read, which is a podcast um, by Kid Fury and Crystal and they had a very structured beginning, middle, end, things that I think give comfort to people who are regular listeners because they know what they're gonna get. You know, you're gonna show yeah. up, we're gonna read a letter, hot and fried, then we're gonna get it to the hood then we're gonna maybe praise a scammer of the week or maybe they're a bad guy, you know? Yeah. So learning how to like structure things and market things was really important.
0: And then when you got into the industry, like what was the most kind of shocking thing that you took away when you started Getting into the entertainment industry may be something that you even learned about yourself.
1: The most shocking thing is, people will let you die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I used to think like being an actress, like, oh yeah, the, the you know, the PAs, they're walking me to my trailer. They're they're very vigilant. It's all care. It's not care. When mm. you sign onto a show, you go to a doctor and you, they're checking up on your health. And it's not because they want to make sure you're healthy. It's because they want to make sure if you have any pre-existing conditions <laughs> that they're not liable for them. Yeah. Um, it's not about care. And like the PAs walking around on set and like, oh, number four is walking or number one's walking. It's so that they... don't lose track of you and you leave and then they can't finish the shoot and it costs them a lot of money so you know there were things I've been hospitalized I've been thrown into the ocean like I got to a certain point where I realized I had to advocate for myself because people will let you die
0: (laughs) yeah I mean that's that is the craziest thing because I remember when I first started working I was you know just coming from the place which I still have endless gratitude for being a working actor because there aren't many people who get to say that they're working actors. There are people who are actors in their own right who, you know, haven't made it yet or are still working really hard to get there. And I think it's like 2% of actors are working actors. So I'm endlessly grateful. But I used to be that person who would just like, do whatever you want to my hair, do whatever Mm -hmm. you want to my face. I'll say whatever you want me to say. And, you know, it wasn't until I started working on shows that, you know, I was working around people where I was witnessing them advocating for themselves and them giving me advice like, if you don't like your hair that way or you don't like your face that way, tell them what you like. And I was like, I can do that, <laughs> yeah, and it's it opens a whole new world when you can start speaking up for yourself and speaking up for the people that you work with,
1: yeah, and I think it's important to learn that early on because otherwise you might become bitter or mean mm-hmm. because you' you've you've just been wronged so many times, and I think that's where some of the Entitlement comes from some actors who unfortunately decide to be awful to people on set. Like there's a polite, nice way to ask for everything you want. I remember I was in a movie. I won't say which one, but it came out in theaters and I was a bride. I'm telling you, you're probably gonna be able to figure it out. But, um, <laughs>
0: Googling. Yeah, seem really Yeah, it's fine. <laughs>
1: it's fine. They know. Uh, the makeup artist, when I sat down in the chair, he was like, oh, your skin is so pretty. I don't have to do anything to it. He put setting powder on my face and some great last mascara and sent me on my way. No, no, and no. Yeah. And that's how I ended up in the movie. And I remember crying in my trailer. And I talked about this in The Hollywood Reporter. Um, alongside like Natasha Wathwa and Taraji P. Henson, where who I was baffled, this was in 2020, that they are still coming to certain sets with their makeup and their uh, flat irons in their purse just in case. And um, for Black people especially, that's been a really big struggle for us. Yeah. Is, you know, wrestling with the unions to either teach people how to do our skin or get more people of color, the latter, who know how to do our skin into the union. So advocating for myself and my hair has been a really big thing. Um, And it's really hard when you're Black because there's so few of us working and you don't want to piss people off. But there's a nice way to ask for what you want and you'll get it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the show that I was on, my co-star, Aisha D., who's wonderful, um, she wrote a letter basically talking about how our show was really wonderful and progressive but there are places where we've missed and one of the things was a representation in the room mm-hmm. but also we didn't have until season 2 someone to do her hair finally we we got somebody to come in and you know who knew how to do her hair and was doing it in all these different styles which she hadn't gotten to experience before which is in- insane to me
1: And that's wonderful.
0: It's wonderful, but that needs to like be the standard across the board.
1: Absolutely, and I think that when people get fatigued with people of color and you know black people talking about racism every day, it's because it's literally built into every single aspect of this country. Oh Mm -hmm. yes, a black woman she gets a job. Now she's going to be othered because she has to do her own hair while the white actresses get to study their lines and focus on prepping for the day, that's racism, you know, and people don't see it that way, but it's in everything. And so- you know, we have to work hard both in front of the camera and behind the camera. And I appreciate you and your co-star also helping because that's necessary too. Like it's very hard for people who didn't build a system of oppression to dismantle it. Yeah. You know? So
0: people like to hide behind the dumb thing of like, I have black friends or, you know, I'm not racist because I've never said anything or, or done a racist action. But it's like you're saying, it's like racist action doesn't have to be just coming out and doing something outwardly racist because racism is instilled in our society and and people are set up from the beginning to not have the same privileges as everyone else. And Mm -hmm. that's racist. That's a
1: perfect (laughs) example. And I'm just saying, look, I'm sure, you know, white guilt gets very consuming, but the word racist and racism doesn't necessarily mean like the girls are getting the pillowcases and they're they're burning the crosses, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't have to be that extreme. So I don't want it to be this, like it is triggering, but I don't, (laughs) I I hate when it triggers people into defensiveness because then they're not doing any action. I think it's way better to just be like, oh, how can we fix this? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, let's try to fix it versus like, oh, listen, my, my, my great great grandfather was one eighth uh, Cherokee. I could never be. I don't have a racist bone. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's like, save this conversation, girl, and just yes. get the girl a hairstylist, like yep. whatever. I do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it is wild to just see how defensive everybody has has become. And it's like once you're able to kind of let go of that defensiveness and and to just kind of say like, no, it's a problem, and we all need to be a part of fixing it. Yeah. Then that's when actual change can be made. But I'm curious from your experiences on set and just, you know, in the world, what are some things, you know, not expecting you to come up with an answer that's really going to like save us from racism, but just like little, (laughs) little things. (laughs) Yeah. Little things that people can do, whether it be on set or like in the world to Show that that they're helping and that they actually want to see this change happening, whether that be in the industry or otherwise.
1: Oh, totally! I mean, one of the things that I think everyone on a set can do is if you have like actors coming in um, to perform, and maybe they're not regulars on the show, or they're not large parts or supporting roles in the movie, or whatever may have you. Don't ask them if they are background. Ugh. Every set I've been on everyone, everyone, someone walks up to me when I'm walking in and it's like, oh, you're you're here kind of early for background or, oh, the background tends that way or da-da-da. And there's no shade and no shame in being background. But you know, as an actor, like if you've worked this hard to get a job, like don't assume because I'm black that I could not possibly be here in a speaking capacity. Yeah. It's it is, so degrading. It's so bad. And it happens on every set. And I have other black actresses, friends who are like, why do I keep doing this? If you don't know somebody's station or why they're there, just ask. Be like, just oh, say, do, what you, need to do, <laughs> do you, you need lost? help today?
0: Are you need help finding where you're going? Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then that way you're not insulting me the second I show up to work.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and this- that doesn't set you up to have a fun <laughs> right? day.
1: Like, how can this do it? Racism to me. It's 4 a.m. It's <laughs> too early. <laughs> <laughs> OK.
0: Yeah. Wait till I've had my yeah. breakfast. Yeah. Well, also, I'm just like, just put a coffee in my hand first, at least. (laughs) You know, I've done, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, because I don't want to, like, trigger you in any capacity. But I I did read that you had dealt with some racism coming onto iCarly, and I know that must have been incredibly difficult, not only because you've created such a beautiful character, that didn't exist before and made that your own. But, you know, I I know you had the support from your cast members and and all of that, but I can't imagine how difficult that was to have to come onto a show that, like you said, you worked really hard to get to and and to create a new character that people can fall in love with. And you're just met with people who just don't even want to give you a fresh chance.
1: Yeah, it was surprising because I had a great experience working on iCarly. I love all of the cast. We're all very cool. We hang out like I've had a great time. So when the announcements were coming out, um, it was really it was very funny because the first deadline came out. And if you don't know what a deadline, is, it's just an article where they'll say like, oh, these people are now going to be working in this project or whatever. So that came out and it didn't have our photos in it. So I got like one DM where someone called me like the N word. But for the most part, like nothing happened. And mm-hmm. then I went to Jerry Trainer and I was like, hey, are you fans racist? By any chance, do you know? And he was like, Well, I haven't really experienced anything like that. Like, they seem pretty nice. You know, sometimes they can be really intense because they love the show, but they're they're pretty chill. And then it was so funny to me because when the photos dropped and the air date dropped, then I was inundated with slurs on every platform. They were making racist TikToks. I mean, Ugh. some of it was coming from black people. And they were like, Why would they hire this token? Like, so it was like both sides. And that was really disappointing. And then I remember chuckling to myself for a second because I was like, I asked Jerry if some of the fans of iCarly were racist. I asked a white man if he experienced racism.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course his answer is no. Of
1: course his answer is no. Why would it be yes?
0: <laughs> like, well, I'm so sorry that no, happened. But
1: I just want to say shout out to him because he was the one who actually informed the network Jerry Trainer that these things were happening because I was just going to take it on the chin. Uh, but it did get pretty intense. And they were, but, you know, I had a lot of support. And so, Good. you know. And now it's not really, like, it's not happening in that frequent way. Obviously, I've blocked all of those words on all the platforms. But I think the real iCarly fans are not racist. And they're very wonderful, sweet people who really just love the show. So that's great.
0: And I mean, you got to, how fun. You got to create a new character that wasn't a part of the show. You know, everybody else is kind of creating the extension of who their characters were Mm -hmm. when the show left off. And you kind of got to create this person from a fresh slate and have new eyes on the show. What about that character was so special and important to you that you wanted to play her?
1: She seemed like a fully formed human being when I was reading the scripts that I was sent. And they've allowed me to add so much to the character, pitch things, you know, I'll talk to the showrunners about like, what well, what do we see like Harper in season two? Or where do we see her going? You know, they're very receptive to my ideas. Obviously, I can't share any of those, but
0: um, (laughs) keep it a secret. Keep it a secret.
1: Right. But what they pitched was great, too. So I love that she's not just a sidekick. She has her own life. She has her own arc. She's not just a supportive black friend who's like, yes, go off, queen. You number one. Let me drive you to the airport so you can, you know, fall in love. Like, (laughs) (laughs) She's not a trope. So that's what I love about it.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also representation in that room as well.
1: Yes. Yes. There are queer people. There are people of color. So, you know, you're getting the full gamut, which is also really fun because... You know, as a queer person myself, like, we love pop culture. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you have a room of maybe, like, older dudes who are just straight, you know, they may not be on the hottest Normani wave. They may not yeah. know that Lil Nas X the has Montero coming out. You know what I mean? Yes, that he was pregnant with an album. Yes. You say Lil Nas X was pregnant with an album to, like, you know, an older straight white dude. I'm like, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> we'll be right back with some rapid-fire questions. Your shoes tell a story about not only who you are, but where you're heading. Because of that, your footwear should be as unstoppable as you are. That's why Sorel Footwear designs shoes that define and defy the trends. From sporty sneakers to wear all week wedges and boots, their shoes will level up your look literally. I want to hit you with like a little quick this or that kind of pop quiz. OK, love a pop quiz. All right. There's there is no right or wrong here. I don't like those quizzes. I don't know. Sugar, if you talk about sugar and grits, people will tell you that there's a wrong. Ooh. <laughs> OK, well, OK, let's start there. Sugar and grits or no?
1: Uh, I, I, I'm by. I go both. I can do both. But I do prefer sugar and grits and people uh, get upset about that.
0: See, I feel like a little cinnamon sugar in grits is great, like mm. breakfast food. Yeah. But if I'm going to have grits anywhere else, it needs to have cheese in it.
1: Okay, fair enough. Fair, yeah, yeah, fair. yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Sketch comedy or improv comedy? Improv comedy. Ooh, why?
1: It's just more alive, you know? Um, you can do whatever
0: you want, and then you don't have to worry about memorizing lines. You like the <laughs> adrenaline. I do. I love the adrenaline. See, I've tried improv a couple times and I'm always just like when I watch people who do good improv, I'm just like bowing at their feet because I just think that it's like so cool and impressive. Comedy in general is so hard. But the people that make it look so easy, I'm like chef's kiss. You're amazing.
1: And truly, that's the problem with comedy. I feel like we don't get enough respect. Because yes. people make it look easy, but I'm like, there's so much math that goes into comedy. There's so much like A to C, like, and you have to be thinking really quickly. But I'm like, the Emmys, like the Oscars, I feel like they're always like, oh, the comedy girls, ugh,
0: put them over there. You oh know? my gosh, I feel the exact opposite. But I'm going to circle back to that. We're going to finish out this pop quiz. All right, <laughs> side part or middle part? Middle part, girl. Yes. See, I'm I'm newly a middle part, but I used to be a side parter, and apparently now it's not cool to wear a side part. So I yeah, feel Gen like,
1: Z bullied me out of the side part, and I right? was like, come on, Aaliyah wore the side part, guys. Are you telling me Aaliyah is not still cool? No, like, Aaliyah, no, Aaliyah
0: is a goddess and always will be. But yeah, I've, I've talked about this. You know, Gen Zers are just bullying us out of skinny jeans, mm-hmm. which I don't mind. Bullying us out of side parts. I'm like, let me live. They will pry the skinny jean from my cold, dead hands. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am trying other jeans now, and I'm like, okay, I see what you guys are saying. But the skinny high waist, like, we survived— low-rise jeans, okay? You're not taking the skinny high-waist out of my... Remember the jeans where like, they went all the way down to like your hips? Oh, and yeah. And you had to suck in so hard to just get through the day. No, 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 no. Through if <laughs> if
0: low-rise jeans... I refuse for low-rise jeans to come back. They're not cute. They're not flattering. I don't care what anyone says. I You will pry high-waisted jeans out of my... Right. I don't care what they are, baggy or otherwise. I will be wearing them. My husband this morning, I'm like wearing tight pants because I've just been kind of wearing boyfriend jeans lately. And he was like, oh, tight pants. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're coming back. They're coming back. (laughs) I didn't get rid of them all.
1: (laughs) He was appreciating it. That's
0: (laughs) hot. (laughs) He was like, your butt looks good. I was like, thank you so much. (laughs) I'll whip these out more often. Okay, bold lip or smoky eye. Smoky eye. I'm very Ooh. much of the J
1: Lo mantra of like keep those levers. <laughs>
0: well, you have like such, clear. You have such big, beautiful eyes that you can pull off a smoky eye. My eyes are like more almond shape, and I feel like they always look closed when I'm wearing a smoky eye. Hmm, so maybe. I'm a I'm a bold lipper. Okay, you
1: know? I feel you. I feel like you could have a smoky eye though. I think the right color. Helps with not overtaking the eye, you know. So maybe not something as intense as a black, you know. Yeah. Like,
0: I think the real lesson in in this is that I don't know how to do it to myself, so I probably do it wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I spent a lot of time on YouTube, but mostly I learned how to do my makeup from America's Next Top Model. Like Tyra really taught me all the tricks, and she taught me how to do a face in Sephora when I get an unexpected audition or something and don't have time to, yes. to get my makeup or need to touch up. Honey, i will be in those samples like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need all of this. I just yes. need to sample it these, first on my whole these, face.
0: These poor women in the pandemic who can't do that anymore because they don't let you touch the samples anymore. Oh, that's so tragic. I know. They'll never know. They'll never know. All right. Your, your next binge, podcast or TV series? TV series. Which one?
1: Ooh, okay, well, I'm currently, I guess I'm not binging it, but I'm watching Nine Perfect Strangers.
0: <gasps> How yeah. is it? That's, that's the next one on my list.
1: Oh, it is fascinating. It's one of those shows <laughs> where you can't look at, down at your phone for a second, because if you mm. do, you'll look up and you're like, wait, wait, wait what happened?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Those ones where you have to pay attention, I th- that gets a little rocky for me. Yes. Yeah, so but I'm down. Focused binge. <laughs> All right, last one. Wedges or heels? Heels, same yeah. same <laughs> you also obviously have an incredible podcast scam goddess and so since you're doing podcasts and you're doing a show how how have you maintained that sort of balance?
1: it's hard um one of the things that's really helped is my show is evergreen so scam goddess we try not to too reference to things like current events mm-hmm. like we talk about pop culture and every now and then you know obviously like the pandemic has lasted so long like we're definitely talking about that but not a lot because we want people to escape like mm-hmm. I very much focus on making the show escapism we rarely have a murder and if we do you know we put a little warning up like okay so somebody is gonna be getting murdered But
0: um, (laughs) here's your warning.
1: (laughs) Right. But For the most part, we keep it light. Like you can laugh at these con artists and their capers and, you know, a man buying gold bricks with money that he, you know, embezzled. And then when he gets caught by the FBI, he tries to bury him near a lake. Sandy Jenkins, you know, it's like, why is this grown up man trying to bury bricks by a lake?
0: (laughs) Why is he a pirate? Where did you get the inspiration for Scam Goddess. Have you always been interested in that? Like, have you, like, since you were a little kid, been like, (laughs) I'm going to figure out the scammers of the world.
1: (laughs) I want to be where the scammers are. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, I just dreamt about robbery as a child so much. No, um, (laughs) But it was really when I was doing this podcast called The Daily Zeitgeist, which I do all the time. Um, I love Jack and Miles so much. They have this bit that they do where when you go on and guess, so they're like, what's in your search history? And I did the show like more times than I could count. And a lot of the times it would be a scam that I was reading or like, you know, Anna Delvey, like what's going on with her, you know, prison stuff. So that's when my friend Miles coined the name scam goddess. He was like, you're like the scam goddess. Every time you come on here, you're talking about a scam. And I was like, (laughs) "Hmm. hmm.
0: And now the rest is history. I cannot tell you. I'm in a family group message with my mother. And my mother, without fail, like once a month is like, oh, somebody tried to scam me from Amazon. If you get something in your email that says, you know, Amazon wants to give you $500, don't believe them. And she was so beside herself that she fell prey to a scam that she called the local news and was on the local news to tell everybody about the scam.
1: (laughs) I love this for her. (laughs) I love this kind of pettiness of like, oh, you're going to scam me? All right, let me call KTLA. <laughs>
0: you're not going to scam anyone else on right. my watch. I'm going to ruin your whole hustle today. <laughs> what is, I mean, you've done so many, but like, what is the most interesting or craziest scam that you've talked about?
1: Oh, gosh. Okay, so I would say one of the most interesting ones, it was by a nasty man, Lou Pearlman, Um but what was insane about this scam is he had a blimp scam at one point where he was like slanging blimps, which a I haven't blimp seen a,
0: like 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 a blimp sky. in the sky.
1: Yes. Um so he had access to an airplane hangar because of the blimps. So that's why he had the band. Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting. Is it in sync or is it back it was in Uh, in the earlier years in his credit yeah no so it's a Backstreet Boys sorry it is the Backstreet Boys (laughs)
0: Backstreet's back back, all right
1: Backstreet's back all right and now I remember it absolutely is them so he would have them in an airplane hangar with no AC dancing for hours and sometimes he would park a Rolls Royce by the airplane hangar so they would have something to aspire to
0: What was yes. this like? Very early on in their career. Very. He put the band together, so this oh, is oh that guy.
1: Yes, he's a bad, nasty man. Um, but the things that he was doing were just so absurd to me. Like he was paying these boys like a thirty-five dollar a day per diem. Like they would have made more if they were working in retail. Like kids their age. Um, it was he was just wild. The things that he was doing were absolutely insane. So he's a very fascinating one for me, especially this
0: is bringing me flashes of like one of their um, like, I want it that way music videos. Why Mm -hmm. do I feel like one of the scenes in the music video was them in an airplane hangar dancing like (laughs) all in white? I could just be envisioning one of their outfits, but like, I'm pretty sure there was a jet behind them.
1: Yo, it might have been loose. (laughs) It might have been a loose spot.
0: I also loved that you interviewed Tracy Morrissey because she really gets into the scams.
1: She does. And actually, she was a big inspiration. We couldn't get her scheduling wise for the Eladia Baldwin episode. Mm. But I would say that was probably cucumber. my other favorite. Cu- how do you say? How do you say cuc- cucumber? Cucumber. Como se dice? Pepino? You know, um, I love the accent. I love everything about it. Um, I also love that scam because it's really harmless. Like, she wasn't pretending to be another race. She was just pretending to be from another country, just like Madonna was suddenly British at one point. You know, Um, it's just an absurd absurd thing to have to keep up with for many years. Like, you're married to this man. She named all of her children kind of like Latinx names. Like, she really, really dug in on this one. (laughs) But that's a great episode if anybody wants to check out that's absolutely (laughs) wild. It ended up in the New York Times. But we were very kind to Hilaria because we just thought it was absurd. The whole thing is absurd, and I love it so, so much.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, with your stand-up and stuff, were you a part of UCB for a while? I did do UCB. Um, I
1: have been either studying at UCB or performing there. Wow. Since like 2014. Wow. Uh, two years in New York and then five in LA. Um, I would do ASCAT, which is a really fun free show where we, we have celebrity guests come up and tell us stories. And then we do improv based on that. I would do Harold Night, which was where we are as a collective group. My team would uh, pitch in front of people. And then we would take those pitches and we would do a show. I've been doing, yeah, I love UCB. I used to have a show called Trap Prof where we handed out weed and lime and had a live band and a bunch of amazing Black comedians. And it was that so fun. That sounds
0: like so much fun. <laughs> I used to go to UCB um, on some of their like nights, my husband and I, And I got reeled into the Facebook one Mm -hmm. where they sign on to your Facebook and find things on there. And (laughs) I had gotten tagged. So quick, fun, random fact about Mm -hmm. me. My aunt, my dad's sister, she uh, was a vet at Tufts Animal Hospital. Mm. And somebody brought in a cat at two days old to be euthanized because it had two faces and she refused to euthanize it, so she took it home and it was only supposed to live for like three weeks. This cat wound up living until it was like 15 or 16.
1: Wow, this Gemini cat.
0: I know. And then uh it was it was like in the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest living two-faced cat. Apparently that's a category um
1: <laughs> Guinness is getting real specific they're, they're like guys we're running so
0: out of what do we do next <laughs> two-faced cat anybody but it was so funny because I had gotten tagged like she had like tagged me in something and they like were on my Facebook but then they like clicked on hers and so they did like this whole sketch on my aunt's two-faced cat and I was dying at how they could just like just again, I'm just so fascinated by people who can do improv like that and just come up with the most hilarious stuff out of thin air.
1: I love it. It's so fun.
0: And now you are on a Black Lady sketch show, which mm-hmm. the sketch that you were in where you were playing the the fortune teller and it had to do with MASH was really just sending me back to my high school days of playing MASH with my friends and then like the Omarion cameo and it just <laughs> killed me. How did you, you know, did you audition for that? Did they know you from your sketch comedy and, and improv? How how did that kind of job come about? Because that seems like such a dream job for a comedian to have.
1: It was. Um, it was a wild process, actually. So I, I auditioned in January 2019. I got the job. I, I When I went into the audition, there was this insane um, sketch that they had where you had to play all these different characters talking to themselves. So like it's <laughs> you playing all these characters and you're talking to yourself and it's like four pages long. And I remember when I was doing, uh, running the lines with a friend, I was like, there's no way that they're going to make actresses come in here and talk to themselves for four pages. Like what actress can do that? Because like I didn't see a lot of comedians going out for it. So I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, I'll just, they're going to have a reader with me and I'll probably just have to read it four times. And then something in my head was like, but what if they don't? Mm. And so I was like, man, screw it. Let's run it. And so luckily I did because when I walked in that room, they were like, all right, and go. I was throwing my braids over my head and having the accent for one character. Then I go into my other character. Like, it was like nuts. And yeah, I've done characters for a really long time. So, you know, it was fun to do. And I remember leaving that audition and feeling like, There's, there's no way I don't get it. There's no way I don't get it, and that's a feeling that I have every now and then. There's certainly been many, many auditions where I'm like, okay, we're gonna throw that script away because they're not Mm. gonna call me again. (laughs) 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 I will not be hearing back. Don't ask for (laughs) feedback. I don't want it. Nobody needs to hear about it. Um, But. I remember telling my agents like we should be getting a call like I know I know there's no way I didn't book it so a couple days go by I'm like bummed I'm like oh I really wanted to do this show so badly and then I text my team and I was like yo like what happened can I get feedback because I just really thought that we were vibing and we did a bunch of improv and it was really fun and they were like hey we're gonna call you (laughs) and I was like okay and so they called and they're like hey Lacey you did get the job but because you're shooting season two of Florida Girls you cannot do it No. (laughs) So I was like, what? No. Like, I was so bummed. And then obviously the pandemic happened. Um, Unfortunately, we couldn't shoot the second season of Florida Girls. We were actually like cars ready, houses ready, everything ready to go. And then Tom Hanks got the role and the NBA shut down. And I remember calling one of my castmates and being like, girl, it's over. And she was like, you think they're saying three weeks? I was like, this ain't going to be three weeks. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Then it it ended up that um, one person, couldn't do the show after the COVID rescheduling. Quinta, who's such an amazing comedian, um, and they called me and they were like, yo, you want to come? And then it was very quick. I had the scripts. I was working on something in Atlanta. I flew back the next day. I was reading the scripts in the Uber and then got on Zoom and we developed my character that day. So it was a really fast turnaround.
0: Wow. That's serendipity, you know. Right. Meant to be. And now with UCB, I know, you know, I've, I've read about Project Rethink, but for people listening who don't know about it, can you talk a little bit about it? So Project
1: Rethink is a group that was started by um, marginalized people, people of color, queer people, um, people with different uh, disabilities. Um, and it was to address the systemic racism and issues that the theater has had since its opening. And I, I don't put that on the shoulders of the UCB Before I adore Amy Poehler, Matt Besser, you know, Ian Roberts. It wasn't about them. It was just like they their businesses are being run by other people, you know? And mm. so there's cracks in the system. There, there's things that have to just be addressed and fixed. And um, we came together in June of 2020, which obviously was like a very heated time. Uh, I like to call it the month that uh, white people discovered racism. And <laughs> we're like, hey, girls, yeah, we've been over here, yeah, it's been rough, but welcome. Um, the, and- but it's the,
0: it's the time where white people like to say right. that they discovered. Right. Racism. They're like, no,
1: we didn't. We, I swear, we really didn't know. I, I swear, it was over. We thought Twelve Years a Slave was fiction. We thought that was wasn't it a book? <laughs> <laughs> Robert E. Lee, who is he? Oh, oh he got statues. <laughs> like. <laughs> Wow, wow, this is crazy, y'all. We got to do something about it. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, things were very, you know, with George Floyd, everything was just super heightened. And so we allowed people to come together. We had like a 500 person Zoom call that anybody who had been affiliated with UCB could come on and share their experiences with Amy Poehler and, you know, all the UCB for all being present and listening. And, it was really great. Um, I'm sure it was very cathartic for a lot of people. But then we knew, like, there was work that had to be done. So we kind of have had so many Zoom meetings about how, you know, let's get a DI agent. How can we make sure that the barriers to entry aren't financial for people? Because, right, you know, sometimes UCB can be pay to play. You got to buy these classes yeah. to, you know, learn these things, to perform. You got to pay your coach. So it's like, how, that's a barrier of entry to people who, you know, financially cannot afford that. And a lot of actors cannot afford to pay to play.
0: Yeah. It's just so hard because, you know, when you're starting out in the industry, the top things that people tell you to do are, you know, get into classes. If you're wanting to get into comedy, to do something like UCB or Groundlings and, headshots and just everything. But all of that stuff is so expensive, especially in places like LA and New York and, and mm-hmm. these places where the industry is really big. How are you supposed to even give people a shot to be right. able to pursue this?
1: And, you know, there's so many intersections because, you know, there's women and then there's women of color and then there's queer women, there's queer women of color. You know what I mean? There's yeah. so many intersections of people Who faced the brunt of that? So, we were working and we created a very detailed plan for the UCP4 to implement. And that's where we're at at the moment. So, it was really rewarding work, but it also was a testament to the fact that we're still having to dismantle systems that we didn't create and we're still doing the free labor, which is really not fair.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so, that's so beautiful that you guys are putting that into place because I think that that's so important.
1: Truly. And I mean, there's people who've worked way, way more on it, um, like Shukri Abadji, Colton Dunn from Superstore. Like there's a lot of people involved. And at times we all kind of the acting would come up or work would come up. And so we'd be in and out of meetings and stuff. So, so there's a ton of people who uh, worked towards the Sean Diston, who's a great television writer. So I definitely don't want to say that I'm like the one who was doing the most, you know, there's yeah. a lot of
0: people. What is like advice that you would give to other Black individuals considering multi hyphenate careers like you have, what would be a piece of advice that you would give them?
1: There's a couple. One is you belong everywhere you want to go. Yes. Um, definitely don't have to treat any situation like I'm just so happy to be here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want to be kind to people, you want to be professional. But the energy of I'm so happy to be here, you don't need that because Mm -hmm. this is a transaction. You know, that's the world that we live in. So you are bringing something to the table that is valuable. Your thoughts are valuable. Your feelings are valid. And you don't have to act as though, even though a lot of people will try to trick you into thinking that, that they just gave you a chance or you're just so lucky. There's too many people in this industry for that to be the case. It's very competitive. So if you get a job or you walk into a place and you're going to perform or, you know, just allow yourself to take up space and know that you belong wherever you are. I love that. Because it's hard to feel that way sometimes. And we just have to convince ourselves that it's true because it is.
0: It is. And so often it's like people try to condition you Mm -hmm. to feel grateful, like you should be grateful to be here, you know? And it's like, No one said I wasn't, but I also think that I deserve to be here. And that's a mentality that you have to have, especially like we were talking about before, to be able to advocate for yourself and and speak up for yourself.
1: And that's also a tool of control. You know, Mm. that's a that's a tactic of toxicity. Uh, and it's not just an act. And you might find that in your dating life. Like, you know, like anybody who just makes you feel like, wow, I don't deserve you or wow, I don't deserve to be here. Like, always look out for that because that's not the case. Yeah. Um, and so that's a big thing that I would say. And then also just keep trying things like maybe the first thing doesn't work. Maybe you pivot. You know, I had another podcast that I wanted to do called Petty Party, and it was just about pop culture and comedy. But everyone was like, we have tons of those and you're not famous. So No. So I was like, how can I still do a comedy podcast, but it'd be something different and allow people to think it's not a comedy podcast? So that's how I came up with Scam Guys. Scam Guys is a comedy podcast. A lot of true crime heads come over and they're like, why are they laughing so much? Why, Why are there so many jokes? Why, you know, why is this not Sarah Koenig whispering over a mic, giving me a detailed story? You know <laughs> it's like i'm because doing all of Because people these need to
0: know about the scams and we need to be able to laugh about the fact that some of those exist.
1: Right. And some of them are very ridiculous.
0: Now, now you that was beautiful advice that you've given. Is that advice that you were given or, you know, what's the best piece of advice that you have received that you feel has helped you in your career?
1: So that was advice that I have realized because Mm. my acting career really started to take off the second I stopped caring. Mm. Like when I would go to certain, like when I would go to like a commercial audition, which, you know, those can pay the bills, but they're not. I I feel so icky sometimes when I'm there because they just treat you so weird. Um, but I remember going to those sometimes and just really not wanting to be there and like kind of walking into cast and be like, hey, y'all good to see y'all. Okay, so I can't put no more change in my meter. Are we gonna do this right now? (laughs) Like, very much nonchalant, not caring at all. And that's when people started to really like me, uh, which was so bizarre to me because I used to walk into rooms and be like, hey, so nice to meet you. Uh, looked you up at IMDb. Love that last piece you cast. You know, so thirsty. Yeah. And then when I just started showing up and being like, which I won't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's- it's, it's, um I, I listen occasionally to the Smartless podcast and they talk about sexy indifference. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, I don't know how to do that. Because like, I want a job so bad, but I also don't want to seem thirsty. How do I seem indifferent when I know I really want it?
1: <laughs> and and
0: I think that's the advice
1: that I was going to uh, share that was given to me um, by a man named Ken Bolden, who was a teacher of mine in college, who was also an actor. He said, look at every audition as a chance to entertain, as a performance, and not as an interview. Mm-hmm. So Ego is what makes us want people to like us and what makes us want to be seen as good. When you're focused on that while you're doing an audition and a performance, you're not focusing on the work and on the people that you're entertaining. So I stopped looking at auditions as, uh, you know, oh, I really want this job. I I really got to nail all these beats. And I started just doing whatever felt right and whatever I thought we make people laugh. And that's why I love comedy so much because unless it's like a prestigious comedy thing, people don't mind if you go off script. Like my rule is always, rule of thumb is like first line always, you know, accurate. Last line always, you know, word perfect. Um, And then I tag it at the end. But I recently did an audition the other day where, I don't know, something in my spirit was like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Like it'll, it'll be the plot of this. But... It's also going to be whatever I want. Yeah. And uh, I sent it to my agents and I warned them. I was like, hey, guys, this is fully unhinged. FYI. Uh, and then like a week or so later, they were like, hey, the producers of this movie called us and they were like, they love this. And then I met the director. I did all this stuff. So like sometimes you just be yourself and see what is fun. Find the fun in it. And n- don't worry about impressing people.
0: I love that. What is next for you? Like, what is the ultimate dream in 2022 and beyond?
1: So I'm working to develop Scam Goddess into a visual medium. Um, (gasps) So that's been really exciting, talking to production companies, hearing their pitches. That's something that I really, really want to get off the ground. And then season two of iCarly, we start shooting in October. So, you know, my plate's going to be pretty full. I'm still recording the show also. So yeah.
0: So exciting. You are such a boss. I love it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but thank you. Yes, absolutely. I could talk to you forever, but I have one final question to ask you. Okay. How have you learned to approach challenges in order to step out and stay focused on your goals? Phew. That's a that's a question. It's a big one. We saved the big one for last. Yes. So Obviously, in life,
1: there's only certain things that we can control. Mm-hmm. Things are going to happen to all of us that are devastating. Oh, wow, what a upper. Um, You know, <laughs> but, but that's life. You live long enough, things will happen. And I think what grounds me and allows me to continue is, one, my family and my friends and reaching out to people, my therapist, having conversations, you know, and strategizing Versus, you know, having those moments where you're like, what can I do in this moment to either feel better or to fix this situation? What is out of my hands? And separating those two so that I'm not spending so much of my energy and time thinking about things that I simply have no control over because it is such a waste of time and such a theft of joy. Mm. Um you know and reminding myself like i think all of us get a little down or we get a little insecure we get a little sad and just reminding myself of who i am and that i love myself you know telling myself i'm beautiful like telling myself i can i can survive this i'm smart i'm strong like it really encouraging yourself um yeah. and writing things down has been very helpful for me writing down goals and then being able to see those goals come to fruition and kind of check them off of the list is so um rewarding and those goals don't all have to be lofty like i want to be in a movie like it could simply be i want to do a live show or you know i want to go for a run i want you know like give yourself little wins because one thing i've learned is once you get the thing that you thought you wanted you're going to just want something else yeah so if you make your job a part of your worth you will never be
0: happy yeah I call that um I'll be happy when syndrome mm-hmm. which is you know you set you set these quote unquote goals of of when you will be happy enough rather than just figuring out day to day how to put one foot in front of the other. and you know my my therapist has said to me, like sometimes you just have to like get up and have the thing that you accomplish be like, i'm gonna make my bed today.' Mm -hmm. Like something as simple as that, that you can accomplish and be like, all right, I did the thing I said I was going to do. It was small, but I did it. And now I can pick something else that I can do. But it's like, if you don't find happiness exactly where you are, then you're going to be saying, I'll be happy when to the day you win an Oscar or, you know, whatever prestigious award or thing that matters to you. Once you get that, then what? So it's it's so important to have that. And I love that you said that you write things down because that's something that I've just started practicing, like waking up every day and doing a gratitude journal and, you know, writing down, like, what are the things that would make me, the simplistic things today that would make me happy? And like writing those things down.
1: It's such a grounding force. And also knowing that sometimes when bad things happen, and this is like a small bad thing, I remember I was working in a restaurant and we were very understaffed, but it was like higher end clientele, but they didn't know exactly what they were doing. I remember the dessert chef just left during the shift and I was in the kitchen uh, making creme brulees. Uh, I was not a chef. This is completely, probably breaking some kinds of codes.
0: but <laughs> It's all right. I'm, we don't know the restaurant.
1: <laughs> right. I'm in the kitchen flambeing, and, and, and I missed the seating of some very important fashion woman. And I wasn't told about it. And I'm like trying to get this birthday cake out and, or, you know, this birthday creme brulee. And, and this woman was so upset that she had to wait that she wrote a letter emailed to the owner of the business and they fired me. Ugh. And I had never been fired from. Well, no, that's a lie. I've been fired before, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I hadn't been fired in a long time. And you know, as you're in LA, you're you you don't know where your next coins are coming from. And I remember being so upset. And then I realized I could file for unemployment because they had not. I hadn't been written up for anything. They fired me based off of a letter from someone, so I could actually file. So I filed. They did an investigation. Turns out that um that I was right, and I have been working somewhere else for way, way more hours, making way more money before I took this job. And so because it was in the six month window, they had to pay me what I used to make. And I was only working there two days a week. And that's when I started my acting career. I kept that money saved. I was able to perform full time and it was such a blessing. So something that turned, you know, started out so devastating because I was like, oh my God, I really need this job. What am I going to do? Turned into the blessing that helped me have the time and space to actually work,
0: oh, yeah. i I firmly believe that sometimes the things that feel like rock bottom are the things that are the biggest blessing, so you never know. you never know. Oh, well, I love ending in that like hopeful fashion. You are so wonderful. I am such a fan. I'm so excited to continue listening to the podcast. if you ever need. Someone who equally loves scams and true crime kind of stuff. I'm your girl.
1: Yes, you gotta come on and chat. This is so lovely. It's so nice talking to you. So nice
0: talking to you. And hopefully we get to meet in person and be in real life friends.
1: IRL.
0: IRL. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode of The Step is presented by Pop Sugar and Sorel. Powerful footwear for unstoppable individuals. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Step wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katie Stevens. We'll be back next week.